0: Well, I'm going to invite you now to pray with me. We're going to ask God's blessing on our time of study in his word as we continue our journey through the letter of 1 Peter. So let's pray together and ask God's blessing this morning. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the privilege that is ours of being your people, to come into your presence to worship you, to enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ together, and now, Lord, to get to turn our hearts to your word. We just pray that you would open our eyes to your truth today in a powerful way. God, especially today, Lord, give us a vision of the privilege that is ours in our salvation. I pray that you would help me to communicate this clearly and effectively and that all of our hearts might be moved, encouraged, transformed as we think about uh, just the greatness of what you've done for us in in bringing us to faith and bringing us to salvation. Uh, May Peter's words that he shared with the church 2,000 years ago, be just as encouraging and inspiring to us today. We pray this in your great name, Jesus. Amen. Well, I mentioned uh, earlier that I've been involved in apologetics teaching. Apologetics is simply uh, the art and science of giving a defense for the Christian faith. And so all the way back in the beginning of the early church, there were Christian apologists who defended the truths of biblical Christianity. My father was a professional apologist his whole career. He traveled all over the world uh, sharing the good news of Christ and the reasons for why we believe what we believe. His his name was Ron Carlson. He had a ministry, Christian Ministries International. Uh, I mentioned earlier I'm still involved in my father's apologetics ministry, even though my dad has passed away uh, 10 years ago. And so... uh, Part of growing up in that environment uh, with a a professional Christian apologist as my father was I had a lot of unique experiences as a kid growing up. Uh, Over the years, I've had the privilege of traveling to 31 countries on six different continents, uh, we've been to every continent except Antarctica, and the only reason we haven't been there is there's nobody to preach to there. So, um, but, uh, but God really just gave me some really cool and unique experiences growing up, uh, traveling with my dad, uh, and then as I got older, sharing in ministry with him. And, and uh, one, of the, one of the trips, uh, actually the last trip I took with my father before he passed away... Uh, ten years ago, we had the privilege of going to China. I've shared some stories with you about our time on the North Korean border there in, uh, in northern China. Uh, here's a picture of my uh, father there in the middle, and then that's me on the left and my brother Jared on the right. We're standing on the Great Wall of China. This is the easternmost portion of the Great Wall of China. Right over that hill that you see there, uh, that drops down into the Yalu River which divides China from North Korea. So this was the, the easternmost section of the Great Wall of China. And uh, one afternoon when we had some free time, our, our host took us there and we had a great, uh, great day uh, hiking up and down that Great Wall. And it was just an incredible experience. But you know, I was thinking about this trip this week because while we were hiking on the Great Wall, my dad shared something with my brother and I that we had heard many times growing up and in our travels with him. We're we're standing there on the Great Wall and we're looking out over over the expanse across the border into North Korea. And my dad turned to my brother and I and he said, Guys, how many of your friends would love to be here right now? And we had heard him say that many times, you know, whether it was when we were in the Great Barrier Reef of Australia or whether we were, you know, visiting the Wailing Wall in Jerusalem or whether we were in the jungle somewhere in South America. Uh, Oftentimes my dad would say to us, hey, how many of your friends would love to be where we are right now? And, And I was thinking about that this week because I think the Apostle Peter would resonate with that idea. In fact, we're going to see in our passage this morning that the Apostle Peter basically says to the church 2,000 years ago and the church today, believers today, do you guys realize what a privilege it is to be where we are today? That, that's, that's the message of the Apostle Peter, that he wants to encourage us with the privilege that is ours in our great salvation. Just like my dad wanted us to realize and not take for granted the, the privilege that we had of standing on the great wall Peter wants believers to know that we too share in a great privilege, the great privilege of our salvation. We hold a privileged place today in God's plan of salvation. If you remember from the past two weeks, the apostle Peter is writing to a church that is experiencing the reality of homesickness. These early church Christians 2,000 years ago they were living in a culture, they were living in a time and a place where, where being a Christian was a difficult reality. They, they were dealing with oppressive governments, they were dealing with opposition in the popular culture around them, they were dealing with the reality of unbelieving family members and the internal strife that that caused in their lives. They, they had all of these challenges that came with following Jesus, and, and many of them were wondering, is, is this worth it? I mean, mean, is it really worth all the pressure and all the uh, hassle and all the opposition following Christ? And and so Peter is writing to these Christians who who really, as we talked about, were were homesick. They they were longing for their heavenly home. They were longing to have that day when they would be reunited with Jesus and they would know the fullness of their salvation. And, And yet here they are in a world that was oftentimes felt very foreign to them, where they felt like aliens and strangers. And, and so Peter's writing to these homesick Christians to encourage them. And if you remember back in week one, we, we looked at in the opening verses of 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter reminded these Christians who they are. You are exiles in this world. This world is not your home. Don't get too comfortable here, and don't be surprised when you face opposition. And then he reminds them, not only are they exiles, but he reminds them of whose they are. You are elect exiles, chosen by God. God has ordained your lives. He's ordained your salvation. He foreknew you before the foundation of the world. Be encouraged in that. You are a chosen people. And then he says, not only who you are and whose you are, but who you will be. And he points them to the future promises of their eternal inheritance in heaven and all the glories that we're going to experience. And so he shares that to encourage these believers and and to encourage us. And then last week, you remember, he took us into the valley of tribulation, into the reality of the, the trials and challenges that we all face in our lives. And if you recall from last week, Peter shared with us that we can know joy Joy inexpressible, Peter described it. We can know that joy even in the midst of the challenges and trials of our lives. And we talked about how do we know that joy? Well, we have these pillars, right? We have the pillar of our faith in Jesus Christ. We have the pillar of our hope in his promises. And when we anchor our lives to these two great pillars, we will rest in the joy and peace that Peter describes as being an inexpressible kind of a joy even in the midst of the trials of our lives and so again peter's writing all of this to encourage christians facing trials challenges opposition in this world and today we're going to pick up in verses 10 through 12 of our passage this morning where peter's going to wrap up his his opening thoughts in this letter these opening thoughts of encouragement where peter today is going to remind us of our privileged place in God's plan of salvation. Now now this is just an interesting aside verses 1 through 12 of chapter 1 that we've been studying the last 2 weeks and now today in the original Greek this is all one sentence. This is one continual sentence. Now, your Bible has it broken up into a couple paragraphs, right? But in the original Greek, this was all one continuous flowing thought from the Apostle Peter. He's writing this ongoing, flowing, this beautiful, lengthy sentence describing to us the reasons why we have to hope in this world. And today, Peter's going to wrap up his introduction with our privileged place in God's plan of salvation. Let's take a look at 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 10 through 12 together this morning. Peter continues on. He says, concerning this salvation. All right, so everything we've just talked about here the last two weeks, concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you, in the things that have now been announced to you, through those who preach the good news to you by the power, by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Interesting passage here. These short three sentences, three three verses but here Peter details for us the the privilege that is ours and our salvation. I want to highlight for us this morning three aspects of the privilege that is ours that that Peter points out here to the early church, to things that are promises and privileges that are just as applicable to you and I today. Why, Why are we doing this, friends? Because Peter wants us to appreciate just how unique and special and amazing our privileged place in the history of God's plan of salvation really is. I think we can take that for granted oftentimes as believers, but Peter is saying to these Christians 2,000 years ago and saying to us today, don't take for granted what God's done for you. Don't take for granted what you have that people for thousands of years before you only longed for. That's the message of our passage. Peter reminds us of the privilege of our salvation, number one in that it was a salvation prophesied. It was a salvation prophesied. In verses 10 and 11, Peter says, The prophets who prophesied searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. Now, now what's Peter talking about here? Peter is reminding us here in these opening verses of verses 10 through 12 that the gospel hope that we know today, that the gospel hope that we know in Jesus wasn't always known. It wasn't always known. There there were prophets who who prophesied the coming of the Messiah, who prophesied the day when God was going to do a new and unique thing in his plan of salvation. But as Peter says, these prophets, they they didn't know the whole picture. In fact, for thousands of years before Jesus, God's people only saw in part the wondrous plan of, of God to send his son, the Messiah, the Savior, into the world. And as Peter reminds us, even the prophets who prophesied the coming of this Messiah, they they searched, they they inquired carefully, they studied the word, trying to figure out the person, the time, when these things were going to happen. They longed to know when God's plan of salvation would be fulfilled. But for them, they only saw in part It's very interesting friends when you study the old testament throughout the old testament we find dozens and dozens of prophecies that god had given to his people through the prophets to remind them that he was about to do something special in the history of the world He was going to send a Messiah, a Savior, the once-for-all time sacrifice for our sins. He was going to create a a new way of relating to him, a a new way that would change everything from that point forward. And Peter reminds us the prophets, they inquired, they searched, they tried to understand these things. When you go through the Old Testament prophecies, going back thousands of years before Jesus, all the way back to the book of Genesis 3.15, The prophets tell us, Moses tells us here in Genesis 3, that that the Messiah would come from the seed of a woman. Now, now friends, that's the most unique person in all of history because every other person in history is born of the seed of a man. Yet Moses tells us that this Messiah would be of the seed of a woman. He, He would be a unique person in all of history. Micah 5, 2, 700 years before Jesus tells us the exact place of his birth, he would be born in the town of Bethlehem. Isaiah 7, 14 tells us that he would be born of a virgin. All right? Friends, that eliminates a lot of people, a lot of possible people, candidates to be the Messiah, doesn't it, right? Psalm 2, 7, David speaks of the Messiah's eternal sonship. Deuteronomy 18, 15 tells us this Messiah would be a prophet. Psalm 110 verse 4 tells us this Messiah would be a priest. 2 Samuel tells us this Messiah would be a king. Psalm one nine tells us that this Messiah would be betrayed by a friend. Zechariah 11 tells us that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Keep in mind, friends, all of these prophecies were written hundreds if not thousands of years before Jesus Christ. Psalm 35, 11 tells us the Messiah would be falsely accused. Isaiah 50, verse 6 tells us the Messiah would be insulted and abused. Psalm 22, that he would die by crucifixion. Friends, if you read Psalm 22, it's like reading a newspaper journalist's account of the crucifixion. Written A 1,000 years before Jesus' crucifixion, written hundreds of years before crucifixion was even invented. It's incredible, these prophecies. Isaiah 53 tells us the Messiah would be a suffering servant, that he would be buried in a rich man's tomb. Psalm 16 tells us that his body would not see decay. He'd be buried in a tomb, but his body would not decay. Why? Well, we know why, right? Because of, as Peter described, the subsequent glories. He rose from the grave. Jeremiah and Jeremiah 31 tells us that this Messiah would usher in a new covenant with God between God and his people. Friends, this is just a small sampling of the many Old Testament prophecies that we have. And Peter tells us that these prophets, they were given these words from God, they were given these little glimpses into who the Messiah would be, when he would come, but, but they longed to know more. They searched and inquired carefully to know more. And again, this is just a handful. When you study the Old Testament, what you'll find is there are 60 major prophecies in the Old Testament pointing to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Not only do we have 60 major prophecies, there are an additional 270 ramifications fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. This is is all in the Old Testament. Again, hundreds of years before Jesus even came. I've had skeptics say to me, well, Jason, you know, how do we know that these prophecies just weren't added into the Bible after the time of Jesus, right? I mean, they, they, they just added these prophecies to make it look like the Bible was this supernatural-inspired book. Well, that's a great idea, except for the fact that in the last century, in the early 20th century, archaeologists in Israel discovered the Dead Sea Scrolls which date to 200 years before Jesus. And those Dead Sea Scrolls, they have found partial or complete manuscripts of every Old Testament book except the book of Esther. So in other words, we know that these books were in existence even 200 years before Jesus, right? So again, these prophecies are truly miraculous fulfillment, giving us confidence and, and trust in the authority of God's word. But it's not just confidence in the authority of God's word that these prophecies give us. These prophecies are also remarkable confirmation for us of the reality that Jesus truly was the promised Messiah. A number of years ago, a mathematician from Westmont College, a man by the name of Dr. Peter Stoner, he wrote a popular apologetics book titled Science Speaks. And Dr. Stoner, being a mathematician, he, he started wondering, you know, mathematically, looking at all of these prophecies in the Old Testament, he started wondering, you know, what would be the probability of any one man in history fulfilling all of these Old Testament prophecies? And Dr. Stoner started realizing, you know, that would be such a huge task to calculate that. Let's just take eight. Let, let's just take eight of these Old Testament prophecies. What would be the probability that any one man in history would fulfill even eight of these Old Testament prophecies? Well, so Dr. Stoner does the math, and he calculates the probability of any one man in history fulfilling just eight of the Old Testament prophecies of the Messiah as being one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, if you don't know what that means, that means a one with 17 zeros after it. That's a pretty big number. Just to give you a visual picture of what that means, Dr. Stoner uses the illustration. He says that would be like if you were to cover the entire state of Texas in silver dollars buried two feet deep. So you cover the entire state of Texas two feet deep in silver dollars, and then you take one of those silver dollars and you mark an X on it, and you hide it out there throughout that mass of silver dollars and you give an individual a blindfold and you tell them that they have one pick, one pick to find the silver dollar with the X on it. Dr. Stoner says that's the same probability of any one person in history fulfilling just eight of the Old Testament's Messianic prophecies. He concludes that when we consider this mathematically, we see clear evidence that these prophecies were supernaturally inspired by God to point us to the Messiah, Jesus Christ. Now, friends, we shouldn't be surprised by this because the Bible tells us that that's what God's word is. It's the supernatural inspired word of God. In fact, the apostle Peter, in 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 20 and 21, Peter tells us, know this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So when we think about those 60 Old Testament prophecies pointing to Jesus, when we think about the remarkable accuracy of the pro- these prophecies and the fulfillment of these prophecies and the unlikely probability that any person could ever fulfill all these prophecies, right? why, why did that take place? It's because these prophecies were all given under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It was God who worked upon the human authors of Scripture to convey these prophecies to us. And so we shouldn't be surprised at the remarkable nature of what we have in the Old Testament and and in these prophecies pointing us to Jesus Christ. Now friends, keep in mind, here we are 2,000 years later, right? And we see all of this clearly today. Right, even even Peter's original readers two thousand years ago, they would have had a a a beginning understanding of these realities. They would have begun to see, wow, these prophecies have been fulfilled. We see this even more clearly today, right? Because we have apologists and others who have pointed out all of these miraculous things to us, and, and and we just take it for granted. But what Peter's trying to remind us here is, friends. Think about how privileged we are to live in a time when all of these prophecies have been fulfilled. Peter tells us, look at the prophets of old. They could only search and inquire about what God was revealing. They saw only in part what we today see in full. I I was thinking this week of of peter's message here and it reminded me of a few years back i had the privilege of going to speak for the seattle seahawks uh their team chapel on a saturday night before they played the green bay packers at lambeau field pretty awesome experience right especially for me a packer fan um, you guys know we've had, uh, we've had Dr. Carl Payne here to speak at our church in the past. He, he used to be the team chaplain for the Seattle Seahawks. Well, he had invited me. He said, Jason, hey, I need a chapel speaker for the Seahawks the night before they play the Packers. Would you be interested? Uh, duh, right? So, I mean, that was kind of a no-brainer. So I, I told Rick and the elders, you know, I got something that's come up. I can't be at church tomorrow morning. Um... <laughs> And so that night, uh, that night, Saturday night before the game, my family and I, we drove up to Green Bay. We, we got a hotel room at the, the Marriott where the Seahawks were staying, and uh, my father-in-law was there. And so my, father and, my father-in-law and I, we went down at, you know, 7 o'clock Saturday night to go and for me to speak to the Seattle Seahawks team. And uh, we went down to the hotel lobby. And off to the side of the hotel lobby, there was a a bunch of security guards and they had, you know, they had the velvet rope blocking off a corridor that led down to a private hallway. And there were tons of fans out there, right? Because, because the people know where the visiting teams stay. And so there were all these teenagers and college kids, you know, and they had cameras and they had their autograph memorabilia there and they were all trying to get in to see the Seahawks well my father in law and I we come marching up, you know, and I tell the security guards who I am, and I had had, had a pass that they had sent me and and uh, they open the gate to us, they open the velvet rope up to us, and all the other fans are going crazy, like, "Who are these yahoos you know walking in here?" And we just get escorted all the way back down this private corridor. And the security guard takes us down the hall and he walks us into the chapel room where the Seahawks were were gathering for chapel. And I got to preach for 30 minutes to the Seattle Seahawks. And I kid you not, right in front of me, closer than where you are to me right now, Mike, Russell Wilson sitting right there for 30 minutes, right in front of me. Just to the right of Russell Wilson was the all pro left tackle, Russell Okun. And there were about a dozen other Seahawks members and, and they sat there in rapt attention for 30 minutes as I shared some apologetic reasons why we can have confidence in biblical Christianity. It was awesome. Well, after the chapel service, all of these players came up and we were talking, and I was getting pictures taken with them. And uh, one of the coaches there who I knew, who I had met from Carl Payne's church in Seattle years ago, he said, Hey, Jason, would, would you and your father in law want to come and, and join us in the team banquet hall for, di- for dinner? And I was like, yeah, of course, right. And so this coach, he then takes us back further into the hotel to the private areas of the team. He's pointing out, you know, here's where we do our meetings. Here's where we do our run through of the plays the night before the game. Uh, we walked into the banquet hall, and there were there were dozens of buffet lines with anything you could imagine. I mean, the players could have any food they wanted. So we ended up having, you know, ice cream sundaes and dessert with some of the players that night. They were pointing out, you know, this is the players' lounge where they had their private you know pool tables and card games going on and i mean we had vip access what what the average fan could only dream of and i was thinking this week you know that was exactly what peter's trying to convey here to us peter wants us to appreciate the privileged place that we have in god's plan of salvation god has taken us behind the rope He's walked us down the corridor. He's opened up the door of salvation to us. He's led us into the meeting room of our living hope. He's pointed us to the banquet hall of his eternal promises. He's offered us a seat at his lounge of inexpressible joy. This is the privilege that is ours today, friends. Something that the prophets searched and inquired and longed for, but God... God has given us VIP access as his people to a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. We we see today what the prophets only longed for. Friends, be encouraged. What a great privilege that is ours. The second thing that Peter reminds us of, the privilege of our salvation... He says we're privileged today in our salvation because it's not only a salvation that was prophesied that we've now seen fulfilled, but it's a salvation that has been provided. We understand today that God has fulfilled these prophecies. Salvation is ours in the person of Jesus Christ. In verse 12a we read, these prophets, they were not serving themselves, Peter says, but they were serving you Peter says the spirit inside them revealed to them that, that these prophecies, that they weren't about their generation. Everything we read in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel, the Holy Spirit pointed out to them that these prophecies weren't given for their sake. They were given for your sake. They were given for you, Peter says. All of these Old Testament prophecies, everything that was so long hoped for by God's people, have now been realized in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. Friends, let me ask you, do you know what we're going to be doing three months from today? Three months from today. Sunday, December 26th. We're going to be right here celebrating Christmas at Lakes Free Church. We're going to have a special family Christmas service that morning, Sunday, December 26th. You know, I was thinking this week, it's never too early to start celebrating Christmas, is it? I, I want to spend some time here this morning talking a little bit about Christmas, because you know, at, at Christmas time, and we're not that far away from the Christmas season, we often hear the statement, "Jesus is the reason for the season." right? We hear that, right? What exactly does that mean? Jesus is the reason for the season." Well, well we know today that what that means is that Christmas is all about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. What is the incarnation? The incarnation is just simply a fancy philosophical word that means God stepped out of eternity into time, taking on human flesh to personally reveal himself to us so that we could know him. When we look to Jesus Christ, we are seeing God incarnate incarnated in the person of Jesus Christ so we can know and relate to him through Jesus. What a a unique privilege. That salvation has come. It's been provided. Should we celebrate Christmas a little bit this morning? Let's look at one of those great Christmas passages in the the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. Remember when the first Christmas was announced to the shepherds. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Now that last statement might sound a little curious to you, right? Glory to God in the highest and peace among those with whom he is pleased. We often hear at Christmas time those words stated as glory to God in the highest and peace on earth goodwill toward men, right? But that's not what the Bible says. The Bible doesn't say peace on earth goodwill toward men. That's a Christmas carol version of Luke's gospel. That's a Hallmark greeting card version of Luke's gospel. What does Luke's gospel really say? The angels announce the arrival of the Messiah and they say glory to God in the highest and peace on earth among those with whom he is pleased. Friends, what does that imply? It implies that peace is only found in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. It implies that there are some who won't experience peace with God. And so you have to ask the question, well, well, how do we get ourselves in that group, right? I, I mean, I want to be one of those among whom he is pleased, right? I, I want to be one of those people. How do we get to be one of those people, one of those people with whom God is pleased? Well, we find the answer in the next verses in terms of what the shepherds did in response to this message. Look at verses 15 and 16. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. Luke tells us these shepherds heard this message and they went with haste and they found Jesus. Because peace, friends, is only available in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Peace on earth and goodwill amongst those with whom he is pleased. How do we become part of that group? We become part of that group through a relationship with Jesus Christ. Let me ask you, friends, this morning, have you found peace with God? Have you found peace with God in a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? If you haven't, I would encourage you, just like these shepherds, go with haste. Go with haste. Don't miss the opportunity. Don't miss the moment. You watching online right now, even today, don't miss out. Go with haste and find Jesus and call out to him as your Savior and Lord. Because it's only in Jesus that we can know the peace that God has provided for us. Go with haste, friends. The Apostle Paul tells us why Jesus came in the book of Titus chapter 3, verses 3 through 7. The Apostle Paul says, "...for we ourselves were once foolish... Disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others, hating one another. Friends, can you relate to any of that? I know I can, before I knew Jesus. But Paul says, When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done uh, by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, justified being made right with God, by his gift of grace through Jesus Christ, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul says, look, you can't earn this salvation. It's not by good works that you make your way into heaven. Paul says you are justified only by the grace of God in the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Jesus Christ came into the world that first Christmas. Jesus Christ came to show us who God was, how we could have a right relationship with him. He laid down his life on the cross as the perfect, once-for-all-time sacrifice for our sins so that when we put our trust in him, we might be justified in God's eyes we can come back into a life-giving, eternal life-providing relationship with God. And it's a free gift that comes to all who trust in Jesus. What a privilege is ours, friends, to know that gospel hope, to have that gospel hope available to each and every one of us today. I pray that none of us miss out on, on this amazing grace. And by the way, this amazing grace that God's lavished on us in Jesus Christ, this is what Peter's talking about in that curious little statement at the end of our passage in verse 12. Peter talks about things into which angels long to look. What do the angels long to look into? They long to understand our unique salvation, our privileged position in a personal relationship with God. The angels long to look into this. Author Randy Alcorn says, the miracle of the cross was made possible by the miracle of the incarnation. The angels must have been stunned to see the second member of the triune God become a human being. And friends, it wasn't just that Jesus took on human form that stunned the angels, but think about this. Can you imagine the angels' curiosity as the creator of the universe stooped to his knees to wash the feet of the people that he had formed. Or the shock of as as the angels watched the one who commanded wind and waves as he was arrested and insulted and abused. Or can you imagine the, the angel's horror as the eternal son of God hung on a cross bearing his father's wrath for us. Or their wonder as Jesus rose from the tomb and offered the gift of a personal relationship with him to the very people who had rebelled against him. Wow. Things into which angels long to look. The privilege that is ours to know Jesus, to know this great salvation that we have. Friends, we are A.D. people because of Jesus Christ. 2,000 years ago, the world was forever split into B.C. and A.D. Before Christ... And Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Don't ever forget, we are AD people, friends, because of Jesus. Some of our woke, politically correct historians a few years ago decided to reterm those terms to, to BCE, before the common era, and CE, common era, friends. We are not CE people. There is nothing common about this era. Because ever since the time of Jesus, this has been the year of our Lord. Anno Domini, we are the year of our Lord people. 2021, friends, is the year of our Lord because Jesus has come. Because Jesus has come, we can be a people of hope. Whatever takes place this year, whatever goes on in our lives, whatever circumstances we might face, you're an AD person because of Jesus. Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Amen. Thirdly, Peter points out to us in our passage at the end of verse 12 the privilege of our great salvation and that it's a salvation that's been proclaimed. Here in verse 12, Peter reminds us of this great privilege that is ours and the reality that this salvation was proclaimed to us. He, he says in verse 12, He says, it was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preached the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Friends, don't ever neglect the privilege that is ours in the reality that somebody preached God's word to you. Somebody preached God's word to me. I'm here standing today because somebody came and declared the good news of Jesus Christ to me. What, what a blessing. Those of you who are here this morning, we can all point to somebody or, or a multiple group of multiplicity of people that God used to preach the good news of Jesus Christ to us. And what a privilege that is. Do you know that for most of history and even for many people in our world today, the message of the gospel is, is an unknown reality and this is why Jesus called his disciples to go into all the world. Acts chapter 1 8, Jesus says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses here in Jerusalem and in Judea, Jerusalem, Samaria, to the very ends of the earth, he says. Why does he say this? Because people need to know, they need to hear. And Peter reminds his readers 2,000 years ago, somebody took up that calling and they came and they brought you the hope of the gospel. And today, friends, we too share in that great commission of, of the calling of taking the good news and proclaiming the good news to others in the same way that somebody proclaimed that good news to us. Because people need the Lord. They need to hear the message of the gospel. Who's going to tell them about him? Who's going to be the bearer of their blessing? Just as somebody was the bearer of your blessing in bringing you the good news of the gospel. Romans 10, 13 through 15, the apostle Peter reminds us how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. Why? Because somebody needs to hear. Who's going to share? I want to share a great story with you this morning to encourage us in this last point of our calling to take the privilege of our salvation to others. Three, four weeks ago, I was outside right out here greeting people after the service. Cindy Jurek comes up to me and she's all excited. She says, Jason, I want to tell you something really cool. She says, I started volunteering for Awana this year. I said, well, that's great. And she says, well, yeah, but you've got to know why. She, she says there are these two little neighbor boys that Mike and I have recently started reaching out to. And they don't have any Christian influence, and, and we invited them to come to church with us, and they're going to start coming to Awana. And so I wanted to serve. I wanted to be one of their leaders so that I can have a role in bringing these boys to Jesus someday. And I was all excited hearing Cindy share this with me, and, and out of the corner of my eye, I saw Don Stahl down here. If you don't know Don Stahl, Don Stahl is one of our church elders. He's one of my best friends and one of the elders of our church. And and I said to Cindy, Cindy, i got to tell you a story. Two weeks earlier, Don Stahl comes up to me right out there after the service. He says, Jason, I want you to meet someone who's very special to me. He introduces me to this older woman, uh, one of our seniors here in the church who's been coming in recent months. I had never met her yet. Her name is Beverly. And Don happened to run into Beverly that morning. Hadn't seen her in 30 years. Don comes up and he says, and I'm sharing this with Cindy. Don comes up and he says, Jason, I want you to meet Beverly. And I didn't know Don's story, but Don says, Jason, I grew up in a non-Christian home. And Beverly was the neighbor who lived across the street from my family. And while I was a little boy, Beverly started inviting my brother and I to come to vacation Bible school. She would hold Bible studies in her garage for the kids in the neighborhood. We learned Christian songs. We learned Christian verses. And it was Beverly who, all my earliest memories of Christianity, it was Beverly who sowed those seeds. And it was because of Beverly that I ultimately gave my life to Jesus Christ. And I'm here today because there was this faithful woman in my neighborhood who reached out to a non-Christian family. And we are blessed today with having a man like Don as one of our elders because of the influence of Beverly in his life. Friends, don't ever discount what God can do when his people step out in faith and take the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ to a world that so desperately needs it. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of you and empower you. He'll work through you. And God just calls you to be the messenger. And God takes average, ordinary people. He did it 2,000 years ago to those Christians in Asia Minor who first heard the gospel through missionaries and preachers who came to them. And he does the same thing today through average, ordinary people willing to take the good news to others. Let's close in prayer and ask God that he would inspire us with that that same passion and vision. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for Peter's words of encouragement this morning. We thank you for these reminders of the privileged place of our salvation that we know you that we have the the pr- privilege of looking behind the curtain to which the prophets long to look and understand we have the privilege of knowing that you have come and provided this great salvation for us we've been blessed with preachers people who have come into our lives and proclaimed the good news of jesus to us Lord, don't ever let us neglect the privileged place of our salvation. And Lord, as we bear the responsibility now of sharing this good news with others, I pray that we too would would follow in the footsteps of those early church missionaries who went out and, and shared the good news with others. I pray that we would follow in the footsteps of people even in our own church who are reaching out with the good news of others. I pray that we would have generations of stories like Don Stahl and his neighbor Beverly, stories to celebrate of people, average, ordinary people, who took the calling of bringing the good news to others seriously. And as a result, God, you use them and their testimony in powerful ways to forever change the, change the world and change your church, Lord. We're, we give you thanks and glory and praise. God, give us that same vision. Inspire us with that same goal. We pray all this in Jesus' great name. Amen. Friends, I'm going to invite you to stand for our benediction this morning as we go out and enjoy the privilege of our salvation. This comes from Jude, verses 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. Friends, if any of you would like prayer this morning, some of our elders will be down here at the front of the platform. They would love to pray with you. Have a blessed week. Hi, everybody. Pastor Jason here, and I want to thank you for joining us for our online worship service this morning. I pray it's been a blessing to you. I want to encourage you now to visit our church website, www.lakesfree.org. There you can find more information about our church. You can find updates on the latest happenings here at Lakes Free. And you can find an abundance of resources for further teaching, equipping, and encouragement. So please check that out. We also have a prayer link there on our homepage where you can submit prayer requests. And we would love to pray for you. And if you'd like to continue your worship by giving to the work of the Lord here at Lakes Free Church, we have a very clear and simple giving link there on our homepage, and we would appreciate your support. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. I pray that you have a blessed week, and we will look forward to seeing you soon.